God has made us to be as church. And one of the things that he's particularly been provoking me about is the whole issue of love and what love really looks like and what it really means. And I just want to take us through that a bit today, some of the things that God's been speaking to me about, and we'll, we'll kind of chew it around together a bit. But just to start, can we just have a wee look at John 13, verses 34 and 35? Because it kind of feels like this is where it kind of all starts and finishes. And today, literally, we will start and finish with this. Because it feels like it's a very interesting thing that God said to us at this time. Got it? We'll start. So this is in the context of Jesus preparing the disciples for him leaving. And the the three chapters, 13, 14, and 15, are, are very significant ones. As before he goes, telling them how he wants them to be. And he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. In the next verse. By all this, men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And one of the things I I find quite interesting in that, and I'd suggest to you today, is it doesn't say, love the world. It doesn't say, it's all about all those people who don't yet know me. He actually says, as you love one another, all men will know that you are my disciples. And I want us today to think about what love means with one another and the very purpose of the church. Now, the interesting thing, I've always been convinced that God had to give us the Holy Spirit to do church. I think everything else is actually much easier. But doing church, I don't find always the easiest. So without the Holy Spirit, we would very definitely be stuffed. We might have a club, we might have a meeting, but church and the love that he's got for one another can only be achieved with the amazing help of the Holy Spirit. Because you're a very funny, strange bunch of people. I alone am perfect. I did say that in Dominica once and they thought I was serious, so I shouldn't really say it again. So what is love? I've got a PowerPoint and everything today. <clears throat> so, love. I'm going to particularly focus on 1 Corinthians 13. So I want us to go through it. And I'll just go, and I've kind of done that so we, don't, we can concentrate at the same time. So running through 1 Corinthians 13, I'm just going to read it through first and then we'll start that. And I'm doing it from the New King James Version. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I have nothing. We believe faith is fundamental to our, to, to our expression of knowing God, but faith without love is nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to burn and I have not love, it profits me nothing. You know, like all these good things, we do all this stuff that we get involved in that is very legitimate. It's not enough if we don't have love. Love suffers long and is kind. It does not envy. Love does not puff, parade itself and is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. 
But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come and that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then, face to face, now I know in part, and then I shall know, just as I am known. And now abide. Faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So let's take a wee look at what love is. Love is long-suffering. Now, I'm going to come back on that one, so I'm not really going to take much time on that. Love is kind. That word kindness relates to the fruits of the Spirit. It's the same as used in Galatians 5, and the, one of the fruits of the Spirit, which is kindness, which basically translated means goodness in action. It, this is a funny one. Acting in the welfare of those that tax us. I was saying to the people that live in my house this morning, if you start being kind to me this week... I will try not to hear it, that actually I tax you. So if you find somebody being really kind to you this week, say, oh, okay, no, not, not really. But it's interesting. It's, it's easy to be kind to those that we really love and, it's, and we just want to bless. But what about those that annoy us more? What would it mean to be kind to them? Love does not envy. Now, that word envy is also used in 1 Corinthians 14 about desiring the gift. So in the positive way, it's that consuming desire for something, but actually in the negative way, it's about jealousy and envy. In James 4.2, in James 4, it uses that word for lust or jealousy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. You know, that arrogant thing. The opposite of not parading yourself or being puffed is actually... You want others to get ahead. You want them to count more than you. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own, but rather the needs of others. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 24, the same concept is used there when it's talking about look out for the, the, the needs of others before our own. You know, these are all concepts we're very, very familiar with. But I want today to kind of allow it to soak a bit and to consider, what is it we can be looking to God for more? Love is not provoked. This is particularly relevant to me because I'm regularly provoked. It, means, it, means, it doesn't mean like you never get annoyed by anything, but it's what you do with that. Responding rather than reacting. I'm a very good reactor. Instant. Always justified. But actually, what God's really convicted me about is how do I learn how to respond, take my time, actually listen to what's happening. I'm quite good. One of the, my colleagues at work regularly says to me, Admiral, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. So learning how to respond, not react. Thinks no evil. Now, this word in the, the New King James, it's used, thinks no evil. It means not accounting up things that people have done wrong. You know that thing where you say, yeah, yeah, I've forgiven you. And then the next time they do something, but this, 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 and this. And it's interesting because the same word is used in Romans 4 when it's talking about Abraham and because he believed, God accredited him as righteousness. So in the positive sense, God, because of Abraham's belief and that he chose to continue to believe the word of God, 
God accredited that to him. He, he said, because of that, I'm going to, you know, I, I see that you're doing amazing things. The negative way of that is when we say, because you did that, I'm actually writing you off. Because you did that, I'm holding a grudge. And it builds up in our lives. So love doesn't account, doesn't hold accounts. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity, which is the same word for sin, or unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Now, what is truth? Sometimes truth isn't what feels true. It's about what is true. It's about that integrity, accuracy. It's about the sincerity of knowing what really is true. And even in terms of, it might be in terms of an individual, sometimes we've got to come back to, no, wait a minute, what is true here? And sometimes it's looking at the person and remembering what is true in them. So they've done something that's hurt you or upset you, but actually come back to what is true. Who, who are they really? It bears all things. In Galatians 6, verse 2, it talk, that's in the same context, and that's about bearing one another's burdens. Again, another familiar scripture. So, bears all things. We hold each other's burdens for one another. We're not on our own. It believes all things. It hopes all things. You know that thing about sometimes when you, people have let you down or hurt you and you love them, and you know they really didn't mean to, but there's other times when you just start thinking, you know what? They really did. This, that thing of believing all things, choosing to believe the best, choosing to believe that they wanted to get it right even when they got it wrong. That's a very hard thing to do sometimes. But with the Holy Spirit's help, that's what God's calling us to. Hopes all things, expects change, expects things to be different, endures all things. Now, I particularly like this when I looked at what endure meant. Because you can think it just means like, okay, I'll just throw it and I'll just keep my head down, I'll just get by. But actually, the, the root of the word means to hold one's ground in conflict. I quite like that one. Because I quite like holding one's ground in conflict. To stand firm. To wait calmly with courage. It's, it's that thing of, it's not just about, can I keep your head down thinking, okay, I'll survive, but it's a proactive pursuit of actually wanting to see something different. The word is also used in Matthew 24, 13, which is about enduring to the end, where it says, you know, those who endure to the end will be saved. And when I was thinking about that, I was thinking, well, those who endure to the end will be saved means those who continue to pursue God, those who seek to do what he wants us to do, to live his way. They are the ones who endure to the end. So enduring in all things here comes back to all we've just said. It's those who continue to believe the best, those who continue to hope, those who continue to not rejoice when somebody gets it wrong, but actually chooses to keep looking for them to get it right. And love does not fail. That love that has just been described as that agape love. The agape love is the, the love, the unconditional love that God has for the world. It's a self-giving love without expectation of return. It's a love of choice. I may not think you're the best person in the whole world naturally, but as I choose to love you, God does something. 
in that agape love is his amazing ability for us to love one another in the way that he loves us. You know, this is mind-blowing stuff. And if it's about how he has made us as a community, what he expects from us as a community, this is very challenging. Because I don't think we're there. I'm not there. But I want to be. I want to learn what it means to love in this way. And that's the bit I want us to explore today. Now, what I thought we would do is, I think I've done this before, but um, I want us to get into um, traveling groups. So we'll start in a group of six, but then when I shout, you're going to move from that group. Now, you need one facilitator per, per, per group, and that the, the qualifying thing for a facilitator is they have a paper and pen. Whoever has paper and pen can be the facilitator. Wait, don't start yet. So I want you to get into groups of six, and then I'm going to tell you what you're going to consider, and then we're going to move on from there. Yeah? It's groups of six, please. And choose your facilitator. All right, well, I'll, I'll do it. Um, gosh, I don't have it written. Can I just see it on here? Okay, right. In your groups... I want you to consider the concept, which is, if you write, the facilitators have to write this down because it's not on the thing. 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Proverbs, 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Proverbs 10, verse 12. James 5, verse 20. And there's a little extra one that might help you, which is Proverbs 17, verse 9. I want you to think, this is basically, the same thing is said in each of these verses about love covering a multitude of sins. And the question I want you to discuss is, does that mean we're doormats for Jesus? So given all we've talked about in 1 Corinthians 13, what love is, this these verses basically say the same thing in different ways, in different contexts, that love covers a multitude of sins. So therefore, does God call us to be doormats for him? Discuss. Okay, okay. Now this is what is called secondary illumination. This is where the body starts to explore the word. Right. Facilitators stay where you are and everyone else move. Try not to go with the same people. Move around. That's all right. You should. What I really wanted to do today was to stir up something because this is actually a very personal thing. There is something that only you before God can really ask him to be helping you. What does it mean for me to love more? So I just wanted to stir it up and hopefully you got beyond the Christianese and into some meaty stuff. So let's hear from a few people. I need a runner. Is Andrew here? Andrew? Thank you. Right. Who'd like to start? Don't all rush at once. Come on. Yes. Right. David, then Chris. 
Right, we, we were discussing the stuff that um, you have to make an active choice to forgive, uh, and that means you have to embrace things you don't want to embrace. Okay, so around the forgiveness side, there's a choice, and actually you've got to face some things. It's easier sometimes to put our head in the sand. Yeah? Love is very much about choosing to forgive. Up to Chris Ward. We just said about um, what, first of all, is a doormat, and it uh, comes back to this whole thing of how you see yourself in of seeing God. Um, but also it starts with believing, and we should be doing not in a formal way, but actually saying, God, how should I react at this time, which is something Jesus okay. always did, rather than actually just getting to the formal thing of saying, well, I've got to do this at this particular time. So if uh, in one circumstance we may react one way, in another circumstance God may tell us to react in a completely different way, okay. um, but, uh, uh, but it's about being righteous. So it's not just about accept, just because we love people doesn't mean we just accept everything that's happened. Doormat meaning you can, uh, it's a very important thing to get the rubbish off your shoes before you go home. That's not just what it's about. It does say in the Bible though about turning the other cheek. Did any, how did... How do we answer that? So it's not about just accepting everything that happens to us and loving people no matter what, not challenging anything. But it does say about turning the other cheek. Maybe we do have to just accept everything. He's here, Teresa. I mean, it's the, in a way, it's the hardest thing in the world if someone has uh, been openly sort of hateful and abusive to you for a long, long time, um, from other people's perspective, to suddenly see that we're being loving to that person and we've come into a good relationship and they might say, oh, you know, I mean, actually I've had this said to me, you know, how can you accept that person back after what they've done to you? You're being a doormat. Being a Christian is being a doormat. But, yeah, I'm glad to be a doormat. Yeah, I'm really glad to be a doormat for Jesus. And I think one of the things that... Sorry, I didn't get your name. Teresa. <laughs> Teresa. One of the things that Teresa highlighted was um, is the difference being a doormat in Christ, being filled with the Spirit, and being a doormat in your own strength. And I think making that distinction, I thought, was quite important. Also, we kind of cover the idea of um, putting trust in God, and sometimes... Um, I'm not sure what the correct definition of being a doormat is. I think that's the variation as well. We might have different definition of actually being a doormat. And sometimes it's about um, how you see yourself within Christ. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about um, how there's a scripture in Matthew 6 verse 7 that talks about do not give um, dogs what is sacred. And just considering all those creatures turning the other cheek. And I think it's about the personal relationship with God. Also that God um, never promised us respite. Never promised us respite from challenges and difficulties. Okay. And I guess that's, that's why helpful. it gives a face and hope. Good. So we've got the whole issue of we've got to choose to face the hard things, be willing to forgive. The thing about we have to know what God has seen in a given moment in the context of this. The reality that actually sometimes there will be a lot of things against us. People may be very abusive, very hurtful. 
And God actually does say it's not an option but to accept them and to love them and forgive them. But in what context? Anything additional to that? Richard, and then we'll come over to Tanya. It's Richard, November here. I was thinking about the way Jesus reacted in different situations. And I think that's the key because he wasn't exactly very nice to the Pharisees, was he? And he told them what for, and he was, you know, downright rude in, in some senses to them and told them, you know, you hypocrites, you bunch of liars, you whitewashed tombs. Okay, he wasn't swearing at them, but, you know, that was hardly very edifying and, and nice. Um, but on the other hand, he, opened, he didn't open his mouth, did he, when he was accused before Pilate, if I got that right. And, um, you know, it seems that at some times, um, Jesus, he just did exactly what the Father was doing. And I think, I don't know if it would be right to say, he didn't really stand up for his own rights, but he did stand up for others. And probably most of the time, when he, when he got angry, it wasn't because people had upset him because they had a go at him. He could rise above that. But I think when he saw the poor and... And, and the widows, people having a go at the weak and the vulnerable, man, that, that, that boiled his whatever, and he had to speak out. So I wonder if that's a model for us. So it's actually, so in terms of the context of love, that's actually in the context of something more around, there are times when we will be angry, there are times when we do have to confront things and deal with things, but it always has to be with that same basis of love. But it's sometimes there are things we've got to challenge. We, was, we were discussing the, do we just let people get away with stuff and that, that kind of feeling that you get. And one of the ways we thought, if you think about your own errors and your own mistakes that you make, then it helps you to kind of help them in what they're dealing with. So mm. and it just, you're just coming from a different standpoint, really. So. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we talked a little bit about um, when you have to correct somebody in love. And it got me thinking that when people have corrected me in love, occasionally, once or twice, um, <laughs> I've appreciated it, and it's often brought a release in something. Um, and I've sometimes admired their bravery. But when I think about times when I felt really loved and completely accepted, it's when people have not let it matter too much. And it's not to say that you should just ignore everything, but there's something beyond that. And I think for myself, maybe I'm a bit quick to correct and to fix and a bit less willing to accept and get over. And, and maybe there's something a little bit more beyond just the fix. And that's... See, when, things, when we're basing something in love, I think we'll know what that means when we're basing it on trying to fix people or resolve an issue or deal with something, it's amazing how much that becomes the focus and we actually forget the personal, even out of the best will in the world. Let's just take one other. Sally. Yeah, I think, I think on that challenging thing, the test for me would be, am I going to someone because I'm annoyed about what they've done and hurt or actually, does that person matter to me more than what's been done yeah. against me? So that would be kind of a test that I would try to mm. use before I go to somebody. Not that I find it very easy, but if I know mm. that it's really because I love that person, then usually that's quite a good mm. test that it's okay. Mm. 
I can remember John saying to me once, because I'm always needing, having need to sort people out and things. And I can remember him saying to me once, I said, well, I just need to deal with this thing, but I just want to be really sure that I say the right thing. And he said, well, if you step back a minute and get your own heart right first, and that you're not in reaction and angry with that person, God will help you know exactly what to say and if to say it. And it's, it was a long time ago, and it's been one of these kind of plumb lines for me all the time. Is my heart okay towards that person and to anyone else at that then actually I can say what I like because God will help me and I can trust him that I'll say the right thing. Let me just, as we conclude, I'll read you again, John 13. A new command I give to you, thanks Andrew, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. A new command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is not a minor thing. This is not a, oh well. This is the primary basis on which we're built. And I'm just going to run through with you. Don't don't, don't put it up. but, But just, even just shut your eyes for a minute and just be saying to God, enable me, God, to love as you want me to love. Because love suffers long. Love is kind. That means goodness in action. Acting for the welfare of those who tax us. Love does not envy. It's not about jealousy or lusting after something. Love does not parade itself or is not puffed up. That means it's not arrogant. It actually wants others to get ahead of ourselves. It does not behave rudely. We treat each other courteously. Love does not seek its own. As we love each other, we'll we'll see that the needs of others is more important than the needs of ourselves. Love is not provoked. God enables us to respond rather than react. Responding gives us time to do it as what he wants us to do, not what our natural beings want to do. It thinks no evil. Love enables us not to hold account when things are going wrong, but to let those things go. It does not rejoice in the other's iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. We want to see people get things right. It bears all things that we actually choose when others are struggling, that we stand with them. We don't just say, oh dear, that's a shame. We bear all things. We believe all things, even in the face of something that you just think is just not ever going to change. We believe the best of those peoples. We hope all things through love. We endure all things. Enduring means we don't let it settle when we see something that doesn't please God, we endure to see that person enabled to be all that God wants them to be. But it's calmly and courageously. And love doesn't fail. And we know God's love doesn't fail because that's the very love he's talking about. But what's interesting is he can ensure that our love doesn't fail. 
And one of the most interesting things I find with God is even when I get it wrong, he can enable me to get it right. It's not about success. It's not about always getting it right. But it's about always submitting it to him who will enable us to always get it right. So love doesn't fail. That self-giving love without expectation of return. That's where God's calling us. That's the journey we're on. That's going to be part of what the broad place looks like. Him enabling us to live as he wants us to live. And love for one another will be key to that. So I would challenge you to start seeing people again, even in this hall. You know, you see the people you see. You do the stuff with the people you do stuff with. And you think, well, they wouldn't want to talk to me, or they're all right. But just say to God, let me see this church again. And you will see people differently, because you'll get the little nudge that God will say, why not text that one or invite that one to lunch? Or why not pop in on somebody? They're the nudges that God will give us. Step outside our comfort zone, even amongst the people in this hall. So we've heard today about the text and the significance of text at those right times. You can be part of that. You can be the messenger. You can be the carrier. So let's just ask God again that we see each other afresh.